As a proud supporter of Parkinson's UK, the Focus on Why podcast is supporting this charity by including their Time for Can campaign in this episode. Can't work, can't walk, can't taste, can't talk, can't move, can't eat, can't remember, can't sleep, can't finish, feel ashamed, can't smile through the pain, can't stop the voices, can't make it stop. Parkinson's, the fastest growing neurological condition in the world. There is no cure. Yet we can fund, can fight, can discover, can unite, can transform, can live, can change, can give, can slow, can stop, can reverse, can cure. We can do, but we can't do it without you. Parkinson's UK. Together we can find a cure. Donate now at parkinsons.org.uk. Welcome to the Focus on Why podcast. I'm Amy Rowlandson and I ask my guests one simple question. Why? Focusing on the importance of why, I share with you the relatable, uplifting and inspiring conversations I have with people from all walks of life. This podcast will encourage you to focus on your why to enable and empower you to achieve the success you desire. Have a purpose, have a plan, focus on why. Today, I am joined by Jeffrey Shaw on the Focus on Why podcast. Jeffrey, welcome. Thank you, Amy. I'm glad to be here with you. Well, we've been introduced by Lee Hayes, and I'm very grateful to Lee for bringing you into my world and vice versa. So let's see where this conversation goes. Eager to to see where you're going to take this. (laughs) So currently you are a small business consultant and I'm assuming that it's not you that's small. (laughs) Huh, that's interesting. I've never, I've never looked at it that way. Um, Well, but my business is small in that, you know, it's, it's like a lot of us, I'm kind of a team of one with a a substantial virtual team. but yeah, that's that's who I care. I care about small businesses, particularly self-employed businesses. Uh, that's that's the name of my podcast, the Self-Employed Life, and uh, I like to to help the small businesses. That you know, it is it's our life. You know, and, and when you're a small business, particularly when you're self-employed, there's no division between your personal life and your business life, uh, and, and that's rarely talked about, except amongst those that know that experience. So that's why I try to take a holistic approach to business. And that's what we, that's why my, my book, my podcast, everything is called the self-employed life so that we can talk about all aspects of it that influence our everyday experience in business. And your podcast is pretty substantial. How many episodes have you recorded now? Uh, well, record, I think we've broadcast, broadcast about 645, have recorded a couple dozen beyond that, that we're always a few months ahead in, in recording. Uh, and it's been six and a half years. And there was, Amy, there was, as a fellow podcaster, I, there was no long range plan for this when I started it in 2014. And even today, I wonder, does it ever stop? Like, I don't know what I got myself into because <laughs> when I started it in 2014, it was kind of a, actually it was a personal challenge sort of. Uh, to my why in a way, um, it was a personal challenge. And so I started it with no long range plan. And here we are six and a half years, 650 or so episodes, 1.4 million downloads. I mean, and we're still going and I don't know where it goes from here. Does it just go on forever? Do I sometime, do I sell it at some point? Do I just stop it? I have no idea. It is a strange world, the podcasting world. And yeah. a bit, but when you feel that your your services are being received well, and clearly they are, because with that many downloads and that many episodes, and also for yourself, you're obviously exploring different avenues, and it's it's a constant learning for yourself as well. Yeah, it's it's the it's the relationships with both the guests and the audience. I mean, it is 
it's profound. I mean, I, I can't say enough about podcasting. It's so incredibly intimate. You know, it's given me a chance to share thoughts and uh, a platform and my values uh, in a very intimate way. And people receive it really intimately. And I love, you know, I'm very active on social media. And I love when I post that I'm going to be somewhere, perhaps for a speaking engagement or even vacation. And there will be there will be listeners of the show that will message me and say, hey, could I possibly meet you while you're here? I love that. And it just creates connections all over the world. I think the podcast is listened to in about 200 countries. Um, three times I have three times in the six years I've been recognized by my voice like out in the streets. I was at an ice cream parlor and somebody walked up to me and said, are you the host of, yeah, actually my, my podcast was previously called Creative Warriors. We rebranded uh, earlier this year. And are you the host of Creative Warriors? And it's like recognized by your voice. Like that's crazy to me. I was ordering ice cream, <laughs> right? Probably cookie dough. It was, I was ordering ice cream and based on that, they picked up the tone of my voice. Like it's crazy, crazy. That is amazing. And that just goes to show how powerful the, the sort of auditory medium is, because people are taking you to all places They you know, they are listening to you in different parts of their world. They may be hoovering, they may be washing up, they may be out running or walking the dog. But what they're hearing is 100% your voice. So they really hone in on that because they've got no other simile to go with. Yeah. Is, so I have to ask you, is hoovering vacuuming? What is that? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah it is yeah okay absolutely. i'm thinking it's vacuuming because of the brand but i've never heard that term i love that i'm going to start using that thank you oh it's funny isn't it you know we we you wear a particular brand then becomes the the actual name for and it never has here uh, in the u.s that's what i love i mean i love the you know, q-tip starbucks you know i'm gonna go grab a starbucks like we don't even start gonna get a coffee anymore yeah. but hoover has never caught on that way here right? so i love that <laughs> there you go. See, podcasting is a learning experience. <laughs> it is. So you mentioned your values earlier. Well, how does podcasting fold into your values? Oh, gosh. Uh, you know, one of my, and I've actually done a fair amount of work on this. So I worked with um, Brent Mensoir, is who recently just released a book called Black Sheep. Oh my gosh, such a great read. So it's Brant Mensoir. The book is called Black Sheep. Brant is a friend of mine and he and I were on a phone call. Gosh, it has to be a year or two ago now. I don't even know, but we were we were having a phone call as friends do and we're both speakers. So I, I had reached out to, you know, just connect about some things about around speaking. And he said something about black sheep that was a positive. Now, having been a creative person my whole life, having been a photographer, you know, my for 36 years now, and you know, just a creative thinker from day one, to me, black sheep had always had a negative connotation to it because I was the black sheep in my family. And I have I've taken polls amongst my listening audience and said, you know, how many of you feel like black sheep? And it's very common amongst a lot of, I actually think it's common amongst high achievers to feel like you're the black sheep in your family, like there's something so unique about you. So I've always held the idea of black sheep as a negative, but the way Brandt said it, it was a positive. It's like, wait a minute, how is that a positive? And he went on to explain to me this, which I don't really want to give away because I want you to read the book, but he went on to explain how black sheep is a positive. I had never heard of it. I had never heard of it that way. And all right, I guess I can summarize it. So it, it, I don't think he'll mind in the book. I'm going to tell the whole story, but basically the wool of a black sheep can't be dyed. Okay, so if you're a black sheep, 
you're so authentic to who you are, you can't be changed by other people. And that is the power of the life. So I said to him, Brent, you have to write that book. And he did. I was like, you have to write a book for the world that needs to understand being a black sheep is a positive because many of us think it's a negative. So he did. He went ahead, he wrote the book, book and it's fantastic. And, and what he teaches is finding your black sheep values, like getting to the heart of your core values, usually around, he calls them the flat flock of five, but you know, five or six values that are really your core values. So I did that work with Brent. Now, mind you, at this time, I mean, I'm now 56 years old. So here I am doing this work at 54, 55 years old. We think we know our values. I, I just couldn't believe that when asked, I actually didn't know. I know what I do and I know how I act. And I know how to behave, but I never really, really, as a trained coach with more than a thousand hours of training myself, I realized they'd never really looked at what values drive those behaviors until I did this work with Brant. And um, the... The one that really kind of, there were, you know, like I said, there's five, but the one that probably sits on top is acceptance. And that has a lot to do with my why. It has a lot to do with the podcast because through the podcast, I'm able to give opportunity to people who might otherwise not have a voice. And through the podcasting platform, we, you and I as hosts, have an opportunity to let people have a voice and be heard and get their message out there. And I realized how foundational that value of acceptance is to even being a podcast host, that I want to be a part of helping people be accepted into the world, uh, particularly if they're breaking in, if they have an innovative idea. So uh, I would say acceptance has a lot to do with one of my other values. One of the other five of those values is impact. Uh, and, you know, I hold a very high not just value, but I'll say responsibility for creating impact. You know, we're only here for so much time and it's important for me to, to have an impact. And the podcast has, has shocked me as to how much of an impact I've been able to make. When I, when I started the podcast, it was a personal challenge. I wanted to stretch. I wanted to stretch into an arena that was really going to be challenging me because I had never been a host. I had never put myself out there that way. And I was, I was in a leadership program and took on this personal challenge and, and somebody in the group asked me, what would it look, what would a big impact through this podcast look like? And I said, gosh, if 50,000 people a year listen to this podcast, like that would be a tremendous impact to me. And here we are six and a half years later and, and the podcast reaches 30 to 40,000 people a month, right? I never could have imagined. So the impact is being one of my huge values is, is definitely also behind the podcast as well. That's, that's fascinating. I mean, there's so many different strands that I could pick up on there. And, you know, being the black sheep, it's interesting about how perception is that, that there's always a sort of a negative connotation there. Whereas, mm -hmm. you know, and you, you've obviously proved or, or actually um, Brandt has, has sort of proved that that is not the case. And something that I want to pick up on is that quite often, the things where we perceive them as being negative, actually they will have a positive side to them as well, always. And you have yeah. this flip side. Yeah. yeah, I mean, that honestly, gosh, Amy, that is such a part of my work. Um, you know, I'm I'm often, people often describe me as disruptive and I always look at that a little sideways because I'm like, I'm not cool enough to be disruptive. Like when I think disruptive, I think torn jeans and spiked hair. Like I'm not that, but, um, 
but I guess my views are disruptive because of that. Like I often feel like things that we're told. So let's, I'll tell you one thing that, that really drives me is this idea that we're, we're told in life to focus on one thing. We're told in business to pick a niche. And I have always hated both of those things. Absolutely hate. I mean, I have such strong resistance to, and I did as a child being, I had such strong resistance to be told to focus on one thing, sit still. And I, I wanted to scream as a little kid. It's like, you're shutting me down. Like, that's not who I am. And I, I don't understand how in a world where, you know, we tell people to sit down, focus on one thing, where we're shutting down the people who actually see more, hear more and feel more, right? When I walk down the street, I take it all in. Like I'm seeing and hearing. I mean, one of my, again, one of my other, the third of my five values is ultimately, I called it gratitude. Um, and I say ultimately because it was a very iterative process of naming these values. And it was originally called beauty. And sometimes I feel like I should go back to beauty, but gratitude is underneath it. So I went with gratitude. And what that means to me is as a photographer, I don't not see anything. I just don't. I see it all. I see what other people don't see. I see beauty in things that other people don't see beauty in. I see a, an image. I see a composition where other people don't see it. That's just ingrained in me. That's why I became a photographer. So lack of focus, I'm just taking in life. I'm taking it all in. I'm seeing all that beauty. So I have always had such a strong resistance to being told to focus on one thing. And then, of course, you go into business and the whole business world tells you the riches are in the niches. You have to focus on one thing. And I'm saying, but I can't, and I don't want to. I don't see the benefit of focusing on one thing because I have a lot to give. I have a lot that I can I can see how my core skill set and my why, I can see how that applies in as spokes in many different areas. Why do I have to pick one? So ultimately what I've, but at the same time, I recognize that you can't be successful in business if you're running all over the place and if you're changing direction. So I get it. I get the practicality of the advice, but decided it's just taught all wrong. It's spoken about all wrong. And really what it is, is that your niche per se is what's inside you. Your niche is the work to be done is to find out what is your unique perspective? How is it that you see what you do differently than everybody else? Because none of us, hardly any of us are in a field all by ourselves. But what I can say is that everybody has a unique perspective because your unique perspective is a combination of your life story, your education, your relationships you've been in and out of that you've learned from. It's everything packaged together gives, ends up giving you a unique way to look at what you do. Like I have a unique way of looking at focus that other people don't have that don't share that. Um, and so our niche, if you will, is within us as to how we look out. And then from there, there are multiple people that could be served with that and you can deliver that content in multiple ways. So what I call a business model of multiples. So it's, I feel like the whole world has it backwards. The whole world is telling people to focus on one thing and pick a niche from outward in. And I was like, no, actually it's an inward out process. It's, it's finding your niche within yourself for which there are multiple audiences and multiple ways in which you can deliver that. I look at the Italian Renaissance and wonder what happened. Where did we go from the Italian Renaissance to here when artists were revered for their multiple talents? And now we live in a world where everybody's telling us to pick one thing. And I feel like we're, we're, we're stifling a lot of amazing creative minds. So uh, how did we go on that rant? <laughs> <laughs>
Well, what I'm what I'm hearing and seeing and because and, I, I can see you, but obviously the audience can only hear. But there's a sensory overload that's going on here. And if you're seeing and feeling and, and having all of these different senses being sort of on alert at all times, how do you then as a photographer communicate that? As, as one dimension. I honestly think it comes down to the core meaning of your show. It's your why, right? I mean, a quote, it sounds so ridiculous. It's a quote of my own, but it's a great quote. So I'm happy to share it. Um, but it was my answer to that, which is you can wear a thousand hats if they all hang on one hook, right? I mean, I navigate between many things in the course of a day, but I'm always directed by a why. I won't say the why, because I think there are multiple whys, and I think there are layers to a why. But there is something almost indefinable, although I've done the work to define it, uh, but there's something that is so core to everything that for me, the navigation between the things is easy. The, all the, the sensory, I don't have, I, I don't just, I don't see it as sensory overload. It's because it's not an overload to me. And that's the difference. When you've got your why, when you know that hook, when you know what all your hats are hanging on, it isn't an overload. It may look that way to others, which I actually find amusing. People are like, oh my gosh, you get so much done. You're all over, you know, even if it's a compliment, you know, some people will say, my gosh, it looks like you're all over the place. Other people say, I don't know how you do it all. I'm like, it's easy. Like it's just all hanging on one thing. You know, I can switch on a day's time. I can literally switch from you know being a photographer to being a speaker to being an author to being a uh, consultant, like sometimes in one day I have to play all those roles. And when you know why the why that you're driving all that, it's just it's just me changing my outfit from you know a cape to a suit. You know, it's just it's just your Superman routine. Uh, you're just changing your maybe the exterior to fit the role, but what's inside never changes. So what's embedded inside for you? So as I said, I really do think that there are layers of whys, you know, because there are some days I wake up and, and my why is solely focused on the people I'm serving and, uh, and, and driven by a more surface level why to make sure that they're seen in the world. Uh, that's what I do as a brand message consultant, right? So I, I refer to myself as a small business consultant, but there are, uh, because I like to, that's my role. My role is to help small businesses, particularly self-employed, uh, in the entire ecosystem of their business. Uh, I have a I have a specialty in brand messaging because that's what my previous book, Lingo, was all about. What how is about how to how to speak, how to understand the lingo of your ideal customers, so that you can then create brand messaging that speaks their lingo, and they feel like you end up feeling like you're in your own world together because you get them so well, and you're speaking the same lingo. Uh, lingo holds communities together. Ancient communities have had a lingo. I, I'm always fascinated by twins. Twins, as as toddlers, will have their own lingo. They totally get each other, but nobody else knows what they're saying, right? So, lingo as as a heartfelt way of communicating uh, when it's emotionally based. Lingo holds communities together. So, I I definitely have an area of of specialty in brand messaging. So on any given day, my, my why is to help my clients to be seen as a, both a brand, but ultimately the way that brands are seen is because they've made their customers feel seen. So 
you know, I'm kind of vacillating, if you will, between helping those two entities, both the brand, the company, and their customer, because I need to stand in the shoe of their customers to feel, to be that customer, to say, what do I, what do I need to see here and feel from this brand in order to choose them? And then I, I, I distill that information and help the brand create the messaging to that customer. And that has a lot to do with who I am as a photographer, because I'm kind of literally, as a photographer, I'm used to being on both sides of the lens, right? In order to be a good photographer, you have to understand the people you're photographing. You have to be in their shoes, if you will, and understand the dynamics of that person, that family that you're composing. So uh, being on both sides of the lens is easy for me. Uh, so <clears throat> that's, you know, on a daily basis, that's, that's my why. I think there's a layer underneath that, which really is about making people feel seen. Uh, I feel very strongly that, you know, as I was saying earlier about acceptance, that people, I strive to help people feel seen and accepted in the world. Uh, and I make political decisions. I, I make decisions based on those values. You know, what, how I exercise my right to vote and what I, uh, policies that I will choose are always based first and foremost on what are going to make people feel seen, make people feel accepted. I want a more inclusive world. Um, so, you know, I think that drives a lot of my work, but then there's, I think a, a layer of why underneath that, which is starts getting a little more core. And you and I have spoken before about the, the five whys. And I don't know that, you know, five whys is sort of a, a, an Eastern philosophy of asking yourself five layers of whys. Well, I don't know that it has to be five, but I think for me underneath the why of making people feel seen underneath that is a, is a pretty heavy trigger point for me that I do know is a big part of my why. And it, and as you'll see, there's sort of a thread to all of this, but it's about being overlooked. So that's a huge trigger, emotional trigger point for me. Um, the reason is I have lived on both sides of that being overlooked. As a child, well into my 20s, I was extremely shy. So I wanted to be overlooked. I prayed nobody would notice me. I hid in the back of the line um, always under any circumstances. I always chose the corner seat everywhere or like, you know, as a kid in the cafeteria, I actually didn't even go to the cafeteria. I went to the guidance office because I didn't want to be seen. I wanted to be overlooked. Please don't notice me. That was kind of my total drive in life, which is painful when you're in school because you, you know, they're going to teachers going to call on you. And, but my entire life was about, please don't notice me. I wanted to be overlooked until you decide you want to have a bigger impact in the world. And I had that moment of realizing that I wanted to serve the world in a bigger way. And I couldn't do that by not being seen. So I had to step forward and become a professional speaker and create this podcast. That was the challenge behind the podcast. Like, let me, let me try to be seen here and see what happens. Um, so of course the other side of, of wanting to be overlooked is hating being overlooked. So now it's a big trigger point for me when I feel overlooked when I'm like waving my hands to get a certain speaking gig and nobody notices or the 13 or 12 times it took me to submit to be, get a TEDx talk before on the 13th attempt, I finally got chosen to be a TEDx speaker and other people around me were getting chosen easily. I'm like, I know that I'm better at this than them. Like I know that I have better content, you know? So wanting to be overlooked wound up becoming a huge emotional trigger that I hate being overlooked. That's a big, that is, that is probably one step away from the absolute core why, because 
I hate seeing people get overlooked. I fight to make sure people aren't overlooked. And it is a driver behind those more surface level whys of brand messaging, helping businesses not be overlooked, helping self-employed and entrepreneur people not be overlooked to make sure they have the right brand messaging is driven by my own hatred for myself and and seeing other people be overlooked, right? So there's layers and layers to this. So I think, you know, that's the drive, but we just may not be on a daily basis. I don't know that we're always aware of the deepest why that's driving us. Um, In a way I am because I've done the work, uh, but you know, I don't operate from that place every day because it probably would be talk about overload. If I, if I, if I worked from the place of how much I hate being overlooked or hate other people being overlooked every day, I probably would be, there's so much fight in that, that it probably would be a more angry existence, right? So it's tempered down by just the passion of helping people be seen. And that's an easier existence. It's an easier layer of why to exist in, I think. So having spent your entire time being shy and praying no one would notice you, but at the same time, noticing everything, you're saying Mm -hmm. that you you noticed everything. What what led you to sort of step behind the lens to capture that? And then what led you? I mean, I know you you said that you just a moment ago that you wanted to flip that. But what was the driver after all of those years being behind the lens? You know, it's 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 a it's a fantastic observation that you've just made because being a photographer is innately being an observer. And I look at my years, decades of shyness as truly a blessing because when you pull back so far, what's left is observing. I just I and and now I see it as one of my greatest strengths. And it actually, in a practical sense, it's one of the ways in which a small as a small business consultant, I'm really helpful because I can tend to feel, and it's again, this is something I actually have probably some of the most confidence in. I can tend to feel what the market is going to to need and hear before other people do. And that's a gift in business because that keeps myself and other businesses ahead. I'm extremely empathetic to the point that I I can feel what how the marketplace is shifting and you know, I will tell you, it has saved my photography business many times over the years when there has been like we're experiencing now with this global pandemic. Um, it enabled me to, in the past, you know, 9-11, the Great Recession, it enabled me to see how people's values were shifting, how the world's values were shifting, which I could then shift my business, even my brand messaging to align that before people were even aware how their values shift shifted. So being an observer has been a huge, huge gift to my even my role as a small business consultant that I can give to others. Uh, I chose photography because actually it it continued the model of of wanting to be overlooked because especially in the back in the day in the 80s when I started the cameras were massive so there literally was a barrier but I could hide behind something <laughs> so it actually wasn't me stepping out it was actually figuring out a tool in which and you know obviously I had a natural talent to being a photographer but I think I had a natural talent because I was an observer so photography was a natural inclination. It also was in the back in the day of dark rooms. So literally I chose to become a photographer because it allowed me to be overlooked. There was a barrier between me and the world in the form of a camera. And a huge part of the work was done in the dark room where I didn't have to make eye contact. Nobody would see me. So I literally chose a profession to continue the model of being overlooked. However, the irony is when you're good at something, you're thrown center stage. 
And that's just what happened. I mean, in high school, I started winning national and international awards. And next thing you know, my photographs were on tour throughout the country. And I had to go to a cocktail reception in New York City at a museum where one of my photographs was on display. And then I went to photography school, won every award there was, and then was chosen by the other students to be the student representative at graduation and having to give a speech. And I remember thinking to myself the whole time, it's like, well, this didn't work out as planned. Like this was supposed to keep me in the dark. <laughs> And that began the transition, if you will, which still took probably another 10 years, but it became the transition to becoming comfortable with being seen until somewhere in my mid thirties, uh, when I, I really got intrigued by being a coach and went to coach training and, and realized that if I wanted to do something in the world that had greater impact, that ultimately the shine was, shyness was selfish that ultimately I, I was uh, keeping so much into myself that I wasn't serving the world. And uh, that's when I really started pushing myself to limits that were then extremely uncomfortable. Obviously now I'm very comfortable being seen, <laughs> uh, very comfortable. And I think a lot of, say, I think a lot of introverts and, and shy people actually are comfortable being seen. They, they say that they're not, but it's one of the reasons why I think a lot of introverts are really good speakers. Uh, which is very common. A lot of professional speakers are introverts. And I think part of the reason for that is we're not used to, we're very used to being uncomfortable. So we know how to manage the emotions of discomfort because as an introvert or shy person, you've spent a lot of your life in uncomfortable situations, what feels uncomfortable to you. But it also, I think it also plays into, I don't want to be seen, but yeah, I kind of really do want to be seen. I don't want to be noticed. I want to be overlooked, but I kind of like the spotlight on the stage because I don't get that very often. So I think there's a, a little play on that, but um, it's still, you know, it's still something I work with because as our root, our roots often are always there. And as you say, you know, your your values of acceptance and impact and gratitude and that they are so sort of d domineering that actually it pushes you into that space. And something you said right at the beginning, which was that you want to give people the opportunity of being heard, of having their voice being heard and, and get their voice out there. But you didn't necessarily talk about their visibility. It was more of from having their voice, so hearing them. Yeah, it's interesting because I often, I think I vacillate between being seen and being heard and often think of them as being two things, uh, excuse me, the same thing. You know, I, I coincidentally just yesterday or two days ago, excuse me, I did a, uh, a masterclass on how to be an awesome podcast guest. And it was put together very quickly because uh, I, I know you probably experienced this as a host yourself that particularly under this pandemic, I, and because my show is popular, I am inundated by request to be a guest on the show. And there has been, honestly, most people pitch themselves to hosts really poorly to begin with. But now the pandemic has made that an epidemic. Like I cannot, because you know, the under lockdown, businesses are seeing it as a way to promote themselves. I'm like, well, my podcast doesn't exist to promote you and your business and your technology. It doesn't even exist to promote your book. It promotes, it exists to share the content of your book, which will inadvertently promote your book, but you're not coming out. But the pitches I get is basically people swinging their hands saying, you know, pick me, pick me, promote me, promote me. I want to be in your show. And it's gotten so bad that um, I just decided last week to step up and say, okay, we need to fix this. Let me, let me teach you all how to contact a podcast host. And let me teach you how to show up and be a good interview. So I did this masterclass two days ago and 
it, you know, I said repeatedly in there that my goal was to help them be heard. Cause I think what, again, going back to my core, why about being overlooked they're under the current level of noise in the world of podcasting, there are people that have tremendous value that are being overlooked. They're being, they're being over dominated by garbage. They're being dominated as life often is like they're being, they're being overlooked because somebody else is louder, more aggressive. And that, that again, gets the heart of what I, I, I hate because I'm looking for the needle in the haystack. Like who's that gem that the world doesn't know about yet, but that has so, a life-changing, world-changing message. So um, I decided, you know, let me give those people a better voice. So, but to me, when you give someone a better voice, when you give them the ability to be heard, you're giving them the ability to be seen. Because if I can, through podcasting, if we can give guests an opportunity to be heard and people like what they hear, that turns into more opportunities for them to be seen. So I often don't necessarily separate the terminology between being seen and being heard. No, I get that. I think that's a, a good perspective to have. And I'm, I'm sitting here thinking, listening to some of the words you're using, and, and a lot of them are linked to photography, you know, the focus, the filters and the and the perspective. Yeah. How much of your photography still is a big part of what you do and, and who you are? It's yeah, it's a huge part of who I am, and that always will be. It's very it's not much of what I do anymore. I do, you know, six, maybe six to eight shoots a year for uh, some of my very best clients. Uh, you know, and I'm very high end in the world of photography. So it's, it's that's a substantial amount of income uh, without doing very much work. But honestly, it's more about the relationships. They're just the families that I'm not able to let go of yet. Uh, I'm still in, in relationship with usually the kids. It's really the kids that the, the parents are lovely, but I love the kids and I'm in such a deep relationship with them. I'm not, I'm not complete seeing them grow up. So um, there's a handful that I still do, but as far as, you know, all those metaphors that you said, you know, honestly, it, it's so natural to me. It took other people pointing out to me again, we, we, I spoke earlier about unique perspective. As it turns out, that's my unique perspective. I, I have a very unique way of looking at brand messaging. I have a very unique way of looking at my topics that I speak on from stage, which because I'm looking through the perspective of a photographer, I'm looking at it from the perspective of being a masterful observer. Uh, I'm, I'm looking at it from the ability to look at both sides. What makes me really good at brand messaging is my ability to imagine on the subject, right? So to imagine on the customer, so that I can feel what, what I want to see here and feel. So I think everything, I also, uh, you know, we, we've heard the thought of mastery takes 10,000 hours. I don't know how many hours it actually takes, but I mean, I've been doing this for 36 years and it has trained my brain to work in a certain way. I see the world in pixels. I see the world in pieces and compose. I'm just, oh, my brain is always composing things. I see still images all day, every day long. Some people see dead people. I see images, <laughs> you know? Um, but that's an incredibly valuable tool in what I do because that's how it helps me in brand messaging is that I literally, I and I tell companies when I work with them that I'm gonna tear, tear it apart. Like I'm literally stirring up the dust and throwing it all up in the air. And especially more structured companies, that makes them really uncomfortable. But I'm like, if I throw everything up in the air, my brain will compose the messages. But I need to understand, I need to dig into the company. I need to dig into the customers. I need to understand their psychology, their emotions, what makes them tick. Uh, you know, It makes people so uncomfortable when I throw everything up in the air. Because in my meetings are, and I warn them, I mean, my meetings are all over the place. Like there is nothing linear about this. Um, 
Yeah, I love Frederick Nietzsche, the philosopher, had a quote that said, um, uh, chaos creates a dancing star, something like that. And, you know, all creativity exists in chaos. So I create a lot of chaos and just let my brain do its thing. And it's, it has a huge amount to do with who I am as a photographer because I just, my brain composes things. <laughs> uh, so what makes other people uncomfortable and makes me, it's, that's, the, that's my sandbox. So without a doubt, I mean, being, having been a photographer all those years and just photography being the natural extension of that shy kid who wanted to be overlooked, uh, it, it is, it's just trained my brain to think differently, be differently, uh, be highly sensitive, see life from both sides of the lens so that I'm always empathetic to the other side. Uh, I see privilege where it exists and I see what I know what it feels like to be on the other side of that. I, I mean, everything in my life has pointed to that one thing about being on both sides of the lens. I grew up very low, lower middle class and wound up serving the wealthiest people in the United States as a, their photographer. I grew up incredibly shy and now I'm on the, I can be on a stage of thousands of people. Um, you know, to be honest with you, even right down to the fact, I mean, I was married for 19 years, raised three kids, divorced five years later, came out as a gay man. Right. So I literally has lived, lived life in opposite sides. And when I came out, marriage, uh, you know, marriage rights and equality didn't exist in the U.S. And I remember thinking how odd it was by a decision of who I chose to love. I was no longer seen as the same American. And yet I was the same person. I had the same values. I, I raised my kids the same way. And it's things like that you realize the value of living a life on both sides of the fences because I know what it feels like to, you know, be in a minority. I know what it feels like to have the Supreme Court make decisions about whether you deserve to be treated fairly compared to everybody else. Based on what? Based on, you know, like I said, I'm the same guy I was before I came out in so many ways. So that living life on both sides of the lens has is a huge gift. So I, I said, to, to answer your question, uh, being a photographer is just, it's just who I am, not even by trade, but I'm an observer. And whether I'm observing through a lens or observing through brand messaging, it, it, it's just all a tool. And you mentioned earlier about the Renaissance and being a, an incredible time of being able to have lots of different ways of living and lots of different opportunities there and seeing that you can see the future in terms of what's coming next do you feel that this opportunity that we've had as a global pandemic gives us that opportunity for another renaissance i really do i think i honestly and i know i'm an eternal optimist but i love where humanity is going you know, I mean, I think with, with the gift of having been on earth for a certain period of time and, and in that time, having been in business for 37, I mean, I'm 56, I've been in business for 36 years of that. By the age of 20, I was a registered business and professional photographer. 36 years, of, and what I say often about being self-employed is that it's personal development on steroids because you're going to see and you're going to experience everything at such a fast pace that I've lived five lives in a single life because I've been self-employed for so long. I've actually never had a job. I've never received a paycheck. You know, I, at 14 years old, decided I need to, because I was so shy and, and wanted and wanted to be overlooked, I decided at a very young age, at around 14, that I would never have a job because who, who, would, who would hire me? I felt completely unemployable because I didn't think I had any value to anybody else. So therefore, 
buckle up young kid, like you're going to have to take care of yourself. So self-employment to me, I just said, I'm going to forge my own path here because I didn't see it that I had any value to somebody else as far as why they would hire me. Um, I didn't see career opportunity because of where I came from or where I grew up. I didn't see education opportunity in front of me. Um, so, you know, I decided to become self-employed, but what I, and what I can tell you over these 36 years of living on steroids, being self-employed is that I've seen humanity shift in so many ways. And I continue to love where it's going. And one of the ways, you know, just in a practical sense in business, which is a big part of how I help businesses to understand that people today make an energetic decision about who they do business with. It wasn't that way in the 80s and 90s. People decided who they did business with because it was the cachet company. It was the brand. And I built my entire business on that. Jeffrey Shaw as the photographer was entirely built like the Ralph Lauren model. Like I, I turned myself into a, a, a label. I turned myself into the it guy for rich people. Like you needed to hire me to photograph you because I was the it guy. I had a label and I, it was very intentional. I knew exactly what I was doing. That's why my business was in my name. Um, and then you start realizing the world is shifting. And thankfully that didn't matter as much. What mattered more than anything is whether you were good at what you did. And then it shifted again to where I think we're more today. It's like, yeah, I don't even care about how good you are at what you do. I care about, I care about who you are as a brand. I care about what you stand for. I care about your why as a company. And then I'll decide whether I'm going to do business with you or not. And if I don't like your values as a brand or company, I'm going to drop you, right? So we now exist in a world where consumers are deciding who to do business with based on how they feel energetically about the company. And I love that. So now this pandemic comes along and it is, I mean, I post after post on social media, I see people posting things like, you know, again, I'm in a world of professional speakers who many professionals way ahead of me get paid, you know, boatloads of money for a single gig and have done, you know, 100 to 125 gigs a year. And they're used to being on the road all the time. And, and now they're not. And I see them posting things like, I love what I do. I love being on stage. I love interacting, but I don't know that I want to do it as much in the future because now I've had a chance to be home. I've had a chance to, to steer my life differently. And I actually refer to this time in which we're in as the, the great realization we've had. And there's a wonderful video circulating on YouTube called the great realization. Um, but I feel like we've had the great depression. We've had the great recession. And I think finally we're having the great realization where people are realizing what really matters. I often look at the, the fact that we have to be so maniacal about our cleanliness these days and wash our hands. I feel like the whole world is doing a walking meditation because you know what, Amy, I've always been that way. I've never touched elevator buttons. I don't let my hands go near the handles on an escalator because it's disgusting. I don't think they're ever cleaned. I'm not, I don't have a phobia about germs, but again, as an observer, I mean, one thing, my, one of my best, biggest pet peeves is you can go to the nicest of restaurants with a beautiful linen tablecloth and a beautiful table setting. And they come along and they, they lay this beautiful leather bound menu on the plate. And I've always, I've actually made them take plates away and said, I don't know where that menu has been. You've just laid it on where my food is going to go. And we've been accepting this. We've been accepting the behavior of hotels and airlines all this time. Even if, it, if whether you noticed it or not, I noticed it all because it's all gross to me. And now everybody's noticing it. And I'm like, it's like everybody's doing a walking meditation. 
And I love that. So I think there's a, a level of awareness and, and consciousness coming into the world. I mean, we're conscious of what we're touching. If that isn't med walking meditation, I don't know what is. <laughs> so I think it's an incredibly beautiful, profound time, while at the same time, my heart aches, absolutely aches for the struggle of small businesses, struggle the struggles of individuals, the law that what breaks my heart more than anything are people that are dying from this horrid virus that are alone and family members that can't be with them. And, you know, again, back to acceptance. I have a such a deep passionate for what that must feel like, because I also watched during the AIDS crisis, when because there wasn't marriage equality, gay men and women who had been together for decades weren't allowed to be with their partner in their last moments, because the hospital policy was only family members. And that their partner of 25 years wasn't considered a family member, because there weren't rights and laws that were passed. I can't have that. And now I feel like we're seeing the same thing in, in COVID under for different reasons, but that the, the feelings and the values tie for, in for me. And so as often there is when there's a great realization, when there's an awakening, when there's higher level of consciousness on the other side, there's a great pain because birthing is not easy. And people are, a lot of people are going through severe pain. Other people are going through incredible clarity and we have both. And life is full of polarities, and that's just the reality of life. But I believe wholeheartedly the outcome is going to be just incredible because I, I crave a world of higher consciousness. Uh, and if if right now the if being aware of what we touch as a walking meditation is a tool of consciousness, then so be it. Because I think that's going to translate into people being so much more aware of the people around them that it can lead to a better world. Well, it's been a masterclass of observations in this, this <laughs> podcast today. I really feel like there's been a, a fantastic circular structure at play where we started off with the polarities and we, we've ended up there again, which has been incredible. My next book is about polarities, by the way. <laughs> so I've been playing with them my whole life because I think I always say the, the answer to life is, is reasoning what appear to be opposites. Yeah. You know, it, it just, the polarities exist and the sweet spot is being able to reason what's in between them. So it's always intrigued me. And also both will always serve you in different ways. And, and it's looking, looking to see how, you know, particular circumstances have served you when you probably didn't think it did. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And as you say, you know, all those years of being overlooked actually served you incredibly well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, it's been an absolute pleasure talking with you today and hearing your your sort of viewpoints. And I feel like I, I've got a different lens on today. I, I, <laughs> I really do. I really feel like I've, I've been able to sort of just put on the Jeffrey Shaw glasses and, and see through a different filter today. It's been incredible. How would people get in contact with you, Jeffrey? You know, my website is jeffreyshaw.com. That kind of leads everywhere. Um, I even for the first time on that website, which has recently been relaunched, I actually have an about page. I never had an about page before because I felt like I'm a personal brand. What more do you need to know? But because of the work I did around my values, uh, I did an about page based on my values and I explained each of my five core values. I also share organizations that I give money to because I feel like the best way to really get to know somebody, what they're really about is, is what they value, what they support, what they prioritize. So I share my values. I share 
what I support. And I also share also what I prioritize in life. And if that's not going to tell you everything that there is to know about me, I don't know what else is. Well, added to that, your podcast, which has got a huge resource, and I'm sure of plenty of things that you can share with them. So, and today's podcast as well. So thank you so much. Have you got a final word for today, please? You know, I really, a final word would be that there are layers to the why. And I would encourage everyone, because I've had to, I've done this work myself, is is to consider the five whys. It's like, well, why is that important to you? Well, why is that important to you? And why is that important to you? And and layer it down so that you can uh, you can operate and vibrate at each of those whys. And it doesn't it to me again. I think this is also misunderstood. It's not drilling down to that that strongest core why. Just so you're only going to work from that place. It's knowing that at any time you can you can work come from and and vibrate from any of those five whys because they each have a different purpose. I mean, I, like I said, if I worked for my core why every day, I probably would be, would be too passionate. <laughs> All right, so, but there's a place for that. There's a time when I, that, that needs to come up because I need to fight for what I think is right for, for myself or for other people. Uh, so I think I find it to be a helpful tool to have multiple whys and, and just know from which I am passionately working from. Thank you for listening to the Focus on 